Washed Up Emo sponsors New Belgium Brewing are celebrating their 30th anniversary as a company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com. Do you ever wonder if your favorite band is emo? Tired of being in the same conversation with friends? Not knowing if you're listening to post-hardcore, screamo, emo revival, emo emo violence, even ska. We're We're here here to to help. help. The Emo Council is here staffed and ready for any question you may have. Hey, Emo Council, just wondering if Green Day was considered an emo band. Thanks. Green Day is not an emo band. Okay. From the creators of Washed Up Emo, isthisbandemo.com offers the definitive answer to the only important question of your day. Hey, is this been emo? This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 87 of the Washed Up Emo Podcast. I'm Tom Mullen from WashedUpEmo.com, and today we welcome Rolling Stone sports editor Jason Diamond. His book, Searching for John Hughes, came out recently, and you should read it. Why is he on this podcast, you might say? Well, Jason has some amazing punk and hardcore references in the book, and he's an old hardcore kid. Enough said, you're on the pod. We talk about his sports writing, musical beginnings, struggles in life with abuse, his parents' divorce, and how the book ties it together beautifully with John Hughes' references. Cheesy as it sounds, life is a journey, and Jason's book shows you can come out happy even after messing up along the way. This is episode 87 of the Washington Memo podcast with Rolling Stone sports editor and author Jason Diamond. Uh, Jason Diamond, you are on the Washed Up Emo podcast. Holy shit. This is great. Thank How you. How amazing is that? This is wonderful. <laughs> I'm very into this. And we're in your beautiful office. Yes. After hours. Yeah. If anyone listening from work, this is after hours. And there's some awards. I like this. <laughs> this is cool. I actually thought it was going to be like, I, I was kind of curious what the setting for your podcast looked like. And I'm like looking at Jimi Hendrix. I'm like, yeah, original emo guy, I guess. Well, Jimi usually Hendrix. at home, I usually do it at home. And when people are in town, they come to my apartment. Right. And Norm, uh, it's not Norm, but uh, Garrett from Texas, the reason came, and I have a weird lock. And so I had trouble opening it or <laughs> closing it. And and as we were leaving, um, or, no, as I, I finished the door, we're walking in. He's like, uh, "Are you? Um, is this is this where you kill me? <laughs> and I go, no. And so we're leaving, and I pretended to fuck with the locks. And I, and I go, no, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> like right into his ear. So that's why he's, he thinks you sound sinister. That's why, because... <laughs> Yeah, they're all good guys, though. I like the Texas um, is the reason guys. So I would love everyone I to tell about yourself. And you have a new you have a new book coming. Yeah, called Searching for John Hughes, which I've read and everyone else should read. Yes, I hope you do. <laughs> uh, so I tell. I mean, you are the also Rolling Stone sports editor. Yes, which I would love to know what that entails. It entails. Uh, <laughs> it's 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 weird because I've grown up loving sports, but I'm not a sports fan. If you, you know, it's like, I don't go to bars and watch, but I just have this crazy amount of sports knowledge and I think I'm a decent enough editor that I can sort of 
get stories instead of having to write about, you know, simple stat lines and this and that. So they kind of give me free reign to do that. And it's been kind of interesting. So the, it's, so it's a music magazine. I've gotten Rolling Stone for years. It's been up on my wall when I was growing up. The, there's only so much room for sports in each issue. Yeah. Oh, it doesn't go. It's on, it's all pretty much online. Pretty much all online. Yeah, pretty much all online. So I'm churning out like three stories a day, but it's fun because I, you know, it's like when you, this is the thing when you grow up going to punk shows, it's sort of like sports is sort of the enemy, but I've always, I've kind of learned as I've gotten older that there's a lot that you can take from sports and kind of talk about society in a bigger Mm -hmm. way. What's going on in our world. Uh, it's, you know, pretty fascinating. And I think I know a lot of great writers, so I've been able to either have them pitch me stories I like, or I can sort of be like, I want you to write about this. I think this is crazy. We should write about that. And then are you pitching the editor and saying, this is a story that I think, or are you kind of saying this is in the sports angle? Yeah, they no, they let me do whatever I want. That's rad. I think I've been working as a writer for an editor for so long that they trust me enough. And, you know, they haven't said anything so far. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we have, I'm proud of it because we write about everything, you know, these, there's a lot of terrible stuff in sports, like sexual assault in college. And we write about that, uh, to, you know, pot in the NFL. Cause the NFL mm-hmm. has this issue where they will give football players tons of pills. But they won't let them, uh, smoke weed. And, you know, that can actually lessen the effects of brain trauma, yada, yada. It's, you know, you learn a lot about the dark side of sports through this stuff, but it's still I feel like it's good work. And the other thing I find is I think you might have trouble with this is how bad the quotes are from athletes. Oh, yeah. Like literally they say like Kevin Garnett, like other than the, you knows, yeah. they he would sometimes give you a good quote uh, certain. But the literally if you go into the Yankees locker room. It's almost like robots. Yeah, they're trained from day. I mean, they're trained. They literally, like the NBA especially, has this whole thing where they like, the day after you're drafted, I think, there was a thing in the Times a few years ago, they kind of start you on the media thing and you just give the, you know, simple, you know, we're just out there trying to do our best, yada, yada, you know, the the simple lines. And (laughs) so if you get one line out of them, one thing out of them, it's crazy. And it's crazy to even get something different other than we gave 110%. It just didn't work (laughs) out today. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I kind of like it when somebody goes off script and just like Cam Newton after the Super Bowl doesn't want to talk. But then (laughs) it becomes, I feel like that quote or whatever it was is a, a somehow uh, gets you more press and makes you more real to a fan. Yeah, like but Shaq. But then they're all well, Shaq is the best at everything. Yeah, he's he he knows how to play. I just watched that it. Orlando Magic thirty for thirty. I again. gotta see that one with. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh my god, it's so good. Yeah, but like you heard these interviews, he was just like, I don't he, know. He just knew what to. He just he knew, knew how to play he, everything. Yeah, he's really funny. I've talked to him a few times. He's a pretty. He's just like that in real life. That's so cool. He's really quick. He's just. But then I mean, the thing is, you know, and. This everything with Kaepernick and his protest, you know, people don't want to admit this. There's sports are inherently racist. I mean, it's predominantly large white audiences. I mean, a basketball arena is sort of like, you know, I mean, people are watching yeah. these guys. It's like a there's these interesting sort of dynamics. Yeah, it's 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 insane and you know, it's there's a lot to be told about these things and um yeah, so that's you know, I, I kind of take everything from sort of the uh anti-authoritarian fu kind of 
I don't think sports as an entity are good. I think the athletes are great. And I think the stories are great and competition is great, but I don't, uh, I don't really, you know, that's, that's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in the stories and what they mean to society as a whole. And, you know, I just, I'm really happy that I've got a lot of great writers who wanted to explore that. So one more sports question. Yeah, I yeah. apologize. Everybody totally. listening. It's, it's, <laughs> it'll get good. I promise. I, we'll start really gonna, talking. I'll mention emo like seven more times. I promise. <laughs> so, NCAA mm-hmm. sports. I love college basketball. Oh, yeah. I actually love mid-majors, being a University of Vermont fan, mid-major, you know, being able to just get to the dance. Right. It's these stories like, you know, the University of Cincinnati, Bob Huggins, I believe. Mm-hmm. You know, how many, what's the percentage of students that graduated when he coached at Cincinnati? Ready for the answer? Yeah. Zero percent. Oh, yeah. Um, no one graduated. Yeah. So those kids are... Why are they? They're not. They're there for this sort of entertainment, and then figure it out. And if they they play overseas, they play for two years. They fuck up. They do like this. I I get so mad at March Madness just because of the like the amount of money, and it's unreal. Well, football is even worse. College football is even worse. But yes, college football. I guess because I I don't watch as much football, basketball, sort of the thing. But you're right. Those same things. I mean, the football programs provide so much money well football is also sort of like an army mentality i mean you are literally a trained i'm not gonna say you're a trained killer but you just have this mentality from i mean this is from an early age they kind of put this in you when you're like in i I would say even before high school if you're playing high school is usually where you start playing but you are trained to do one thing and it's you know that's your whole life and the way the players are treated it's kind of you know people are like oh boohoo they're millionaires it's like well sure but the percentage of NFL players, you know, the ones who go to college on free rides and then end up in the NFL, a lot of them are broke by the time, you know, 20 years, 10 years after they're retired and dealing with all sorts of traumatic injuries that, you know, lead them to God knows what. And it's sad, you know. And so, you know, trying to talk about that stuff and trying to bring that stuff out is, um, you know, somebody who grew up getting a lot of enjoyment out of sports and still does. I'm yeah. like, you know, I'd like to be able to talk about this instead of just being rah, rah go team uh so you know it's like it's trying to have some conscience about sports and there's a lot of sites that i think and, and magazines have done a great job at that like grantland r.i.p mm-hmm. uh and i emulate you know stuff like that uh and also trying to like take like other sites that i like and other editors whose visions i kind of respect and try to put that into talking about sports so you know i think it's we're trying i'm trying to present sports for people who want to think about it and not mm-hmm. just yell so. Yeah, uh, the other stuff that I thought too that I didn't realize was you was the volume one Brooklyn. Yes, that is talk me. about how that again started and uh, it was you know literally I was sitting in a coffee shop one day and I just registered the domain. I had started a site with some friends a few years earlier and it was like we were going to talk about books and music. There were there was like one or two sites out there like Large Hearted Boy that I really liked that did that and you know I was like books and music sort of are the two things that have like saved my life and made me who I am. And I'd like to just talk about it. And I was also trying to like figure out a way to like become a writer and get my name out there. And, um, so we started this site and having grown up putting on, I put on a lot of shows growing up, like in the Chicago suburbs, having done that, I was like, well, maybe I should have like a live component to this. And I started putting on readings also with bands, which was kind of fun. Um, and it just kind of grew from there. And then my friend uh, Tobias Carroll, who ran a really good uh, Screamo label in the 90s. Which one? 
uh, I think your best, your, the zine might have been your best guess. I know you put out some Seisha record. Oh, okay. With, that's maybe a you and I record too. Oh, shit. He was a New Jersey hardcore kid and he actually, he's the best. But, uh, what up, Tobias? Yeah, hey, Tobias. Uh, respect. I had to give him a shout out. <laughs> he's the most, yeah. I just got the Seisha reissue. Oh, there's a reissue? Yeah, of everything they've done. Ooh. Actually, I, have, I, I have the you and I discography, but I never got the Seisha one. Yeah, I got to check that out. Is it on vinyl? Yeah. Ooh. Okay. My wife. Awesome. Hopefully, hopefully, my wife does not listen to this and hears I'm going to buy some more records. <laughs> <clears throat> no, honey, it just happens to be a twelve by twelve calendar. It's yeah, for 2017. It's, yeah, I can't hide the records anymore. It's but yeah. So, anyways, we so we started this website and um, it just kind of grew. And then you know the events. It's kind of funny because it's like we started. I started going. You know, I think a lot of the bands I like probably have people who are writers yeah. or want to be writers and you know so like norm from texas of the reason is a great writer has done a few of our events um blake from jawbreaker which was the crowning achievement of my lifetime did I'm one sure of our events. Did. why are you uh, you should be retired oh uh, yeah congratulations thank you it was it was so nerve-wracking because <laughs> like we were outside talking and i'm like i just turned into 14 year old fanboy and i'm like you know usually i, I interview for a living a lot of famous people and i was just like oh so you know i always wondered about the books you read because uh you know everyone like said you like these bands or this these are these writers and he was just totally he's like yeah people say that but you know i really like these writers and you know i don't get why people say that about me and i was like yeah i think people have been saying a lot of stuff about you for a long time and i feel terrible for that because he doesn't like washed up emo yeah, he doesn't like a lot of stuff. I don't know if you saw the the twi- like the Facebook storm he did because we did a whole thing on should Jawbreaker come back get back together or I not. Think I do remember it that. was the Emo Council, which is a a uh, secret society, <laughs> and so it was all anonymous people talking about from the industry. Right, right. If Jawbreaker should get back together, he posted it and just was like went off. It was really funny. He's like, I bet the guy from Washed Up Emo is like bald and forty, and I was like, and you're not. I was like, oh uh, no, I'm not. Thanks. Full no, head of hair. Thank you. Thanks, Blake. Yeah, he's... I, I once asked him where uh, Davey from The Promise Ring was. Um, you asked I, him? Yeah, I didn't know who he was. And my friend next to me was like, did you just realize you asked Blake where <sighs> Davey... And I went, man, I, that was before the internet. Yeah, I partially moved to New York. I mean, one of the big... Because like, I was like, I want to be it a writer. Dark. Yeah. No, I, dude, I've done... Believe me, you have no <laughs> idea the awkward situations I've been in in my lifetime. I'm Mr. Awkward, but especially around Jawbreaker. <clears throat> that was actually the not even that bad comparatively. Cool. But I, I, I mean, I moved to New York partially because I mean I wanted to be a writer, but I was like, I heard Blake taught like creative writing at yeah. Hunter, and I was like, I'm gonna go take a class with Blake. Never happened, but um, I wonder how many people are driving right now through the Holland Tunnel thinking the same thing. Oh, that they tried to do that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Hunter's got a great writing program, but I'm like, you know, they've got, I think, like, Gary Steingart is there, a lot of big novelists, and I'm like, yeah, I want to learn how to write from Blake from Jawbreaker. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I actually had to email him because the the dedication in my book to my wife is I kind of took uh, a Jets Brazil lyric. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I I was like, yeah, I I emailed him and he never got back to me, so I'm like, I think it's cool because I kind of messed around with it. But I also had to email in the epigraph, which you haven't seen. Uh, I have a rights of spring really? lyric, and yes, yeah, so I had. Is it guy or gee? Do you? Gee. Okay, so I had to. Email, he's been. He's always been super nice, and he was so cool about letting me use it. Wow. So, so you guys, we talked about emo. That was yeah. This, that's the original. It's the transition. <laughs> yes. 
So music Chicago, we've mentioned Promise Ring. Mm-hmm. What other stuff entered your life? I mean, why did that why did that music and yes, it was the time period and that was what was punk and independent, but you could have gone pop and yeah. you could have gone country. <laughs> whatever it was, like what what was connecting you with that stuff? Was there someone that brought you to a show? Or? Yeah. Because there is a certain thing when you get into that VFW hall. Yeah, there's like, always that spark. You're like, this is it. Yeah. Um, that's my favorite. I love hearing people. This is why I like your podcast and all these other podcasts we were talking about because I love to hear this. But when I was like 13, you know, I was like just angry 13-year-old kid. And the only thing I kind of had, I was, you know, I had, I, li- I played hockey growing up, which I always try to explain to people for some reason where I lived, hockey was like the weirdo sport. Really? It wasn't as big because it's Chicago. The Blackhawks were terrible. And (coughs) for my high school, hockey players were more popular than anybody. Yeah, that's normal on the East Coast. And and it's normal like in Minnesota. But for some reason, just a little part, nobody really cared. And so I was kind of getting over it a little bit and what was your position i was a center because i could damn they were just once i got big i mean once i started getting bigger they just like put me in front of the net and i would just score garbage goals i'm also the thing is i i'm I'm not kidding my parents basically signed me up for hockey when i was really young because i got i was diagnosed with adhd and i think they really thought put him on blades give him a stick yeah that's a good idea that's gonna help him that's gonna help chill him out but by the time you get home yeah now but no the thing is then i'm a maniac on the ice for an hour and i could literally hurt other kids but um they thought it was smart it it was how long did you do that for oh man pretty much most of my childhood it was like that through high school or until i was about my voice cracked when i said that i think i was channeling high school (laughs) until i was about 15 then at that point i just so like around around 13 i was just so kind of oh wait yeah well this kid (laughs) I remember it was like break. I think it was, um, you know, the break between winter and spring. We had like a week or two off. And this kid who I played with, who was really like a cool kid, but he wasn't a good player. He came back with this haircut and it was short on the sides and the back. I'm like, dude, that's a really cool haircut. And he was like, it's a skater cut. I'm like, oh, cool, man. I skate. And I had this like dinky little skateboard that, you know, it was like one of those, um, scooters that was like a skateboard bottom and you could unscrew the uh the handles he's like oh cool you should skate with me sometime and i was like well i really want to get that haircut so i'm totally gonna sk-. i didn't say that but i was thinking it yeah so i showed up at his house and he was so <laughs> embarrassed by my skateboard that he gave me one of his older brother's old skateboards and it was really cool and you know then i just started skateboarding uh and he had these two older brothers who were like cool older brothers. That he had the cool older brothers. I didn't, but hey, yeah, you gotta have one. They started bringing us to like skate parks, and you know, I was just kind of, you know, I was trying to find myself. So I was like, I had like a fourteen-year-old like dead phase for like a month, and I quickly got out of that when I was told by skaters that the Grateful Dead suck. And I was like, anything you say, older skater dudes. Um, but you know, you'd go to the skate park and this is like the mid nine, early to mid nineties and you'd hear like Slayer and then you'd hear public enemy and then you would hear an operation Ivy song and all this stuff just, all of it sounded great to me, but the punk stuff just really, you know, you'd be driving in a car with like a 16 year old and they'd be playing like screeching weasel and he'd be like, this is really cool. I'm 14. Everything this Ben Weasel guy who's a total dick, but everything he was like saying i'm like yeah this is great i love this and 
I just kind of, you know, started paying attention to like older kids and, you know, my parents, my, my mom just sort of didn't care. So I started going out all the time. You know, they'd be like, we're going to a show. I'm like, I'm there wherever you want to go. Let's go to the show. And I would just go see any band, any show. Uh, and yeah, I just kind of listened to the older kids. You know, like I remember this girl I had a crush on who was 17 when I was 14. was like the biggest Descendants fan. I'm like, I really got to check them out. And so I found a, uh, Milo goes to college cassette tape somewhere. And I was like, this is sweet. Um, and then the big one was jawbreaker every, that was really? like the unanimous band. Yeah. Cause I think it's, yeah, this is like right around dear you, but it was like everybody liked jawbreaker, but they didn't like that album. Um, and then some kid loaned me a dub cassette and he sounds so dated, but he's like, give me this cassette back. And I was like, yeah, totally dude. And the first song on it was, um, was it need or want. I think want, yeah, it's want. want. Uh, Want was the first song on there, and I was just like, "This is the best." And my friends like, "Cause you're emo," and I was like, "Okay." Uh, so I just, <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, I like this kind of stuff now," and so you know, I just started getting a lot of East Bay stuff, and then oh yeah, totally. Then all the Kinsella, anything Kinsella, I slowly started. You know, as I started getting older, it was like any Kinsella band because I like you know they were local. Any DC band, I was like, oh, I get the regional thing now. I understand all these bands come from different places and. I mean, but it took a minute. Yeah. We talked about that on with, I mean, even if it's the, all the older bands, it was this, it was just a little bit of effort. You, it wasn't just a quick little search. No. Yeah. I went and saw, when I was like 15, I went and saw Blue Tip and Kerosene 454 and I had no idea who they were. Oh my God. That's a great, that's a great lineup. Well, there was, the headlining band was a Chicago band called Sidekick Cato, who their tag at the time proudly they were like we're drunk emo and they sounded like grade like they were like really? grade a few years before grade um they were like m- separate the magnets grade or the under the radar stuff uh, like I, later grade less screamy so i would say i guess under the radar yeah. stuff um they were just so good and they were the headliners and i was like this blue tip band's pretty good and my my friend's brother um who was in a band with matt skiba was like you should check out Swizz. I'm like, sure, done. I'll check out Swizz. And anytime somebody would say, because like they were members, I think, anytime anybody would say that, I would be like, yeah, I'll check it out. And sign a real estate, check them out. But yeah. you were learning labels too at that time. Yeah. Well, Swizz was Jade Tree, right? Yes, Swizz so, was Jade. Yeah. And then Sunny Day, obviously you go down the sub pop world. Sub- DC, Discord. I mean, you start seeing these little pockets of communities. Yeah. Well, the Love It thing, you had the Love It guy. Yeah, oh like, my God, I love Love It records. Yeah, like... I was like, this is amazing. And, you know, I, like, listened to that. And uh, eventually, like, my my two big phases, like, when I was 17, I was, like, really getting drunk and doing all sorts of stupid stuff. And so I I had, like, a nine-month vegan straight-edge phase. (laughs) And I alienated all my friends. But, I, I, you know, it's corny, and it was terrible, and I was a total jerk. But I'm, like, kind of thankful i did it because it kind of gave me a little reset at that that point when i really needed it what were you listening to i was listening to everything i mean i was pretty much i mean for the vegan straight edge world i wasn't really in all the i liked like harvest um harvest i like despair i still like that stuff dude Um, if we've played harvest at emo night we'll do it late for a few hardcore kids that are in the room and there's always one person that's just like wow like (laughs) i can see i know what you're doing and i didn't i can't believe you did that yeah Oh, yeah. That's a shocker. I mean, if you were going to play Harvest, that's... Epicure? Guys, pause the podcast. 
Spotify, Harvest, Epicure. When the breakdown is done, come back. It wasn't on Spotify until like a couple of months ago. Really? Yeah, because I have... I was pulling it from my, my personal collection. Maybe. Sometimes you can have it... It'll pull from yours on yeah. Spotify. Yeah, it was... No, but I, that was like... I wasn't like too chugga-chugga, but I was like really into... Oh, my, my favorite band probably of my entire teenage life was Avail. Dude. Avail was like everything to me. Avail, um, I literally... That... Uh, was a clone? Is, is that the second record? Oh, the, uh, Dixie is the second. Dixie's record. second. Yeah, yeah, the song "Clone." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rise, rise. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I took like the mic from Tim. Oh yeah, and like that was my time. And I flipped out when I saw it. they actually played Vermont, which was like again a band like that. It you know sold out, and it was just those guys. I feel like with Bobo and like <laughs> it's just their aesthetic. It just that was something that it was the greatest thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Why was, weren't they fucking huge? I think they were in that capacity. Like you're in, right. You're right. I remember they played like Lifetime at a church, and I was like, I gotta check this out. And you know, Lifetime became one of my favorite bands because they were sharing a bill with Avail. And uh, but yeah, Avail was like like through every every little phase I had, I was like, yeah, Avail's always my favorite. And you know, then there was this one band from Chicago called Baxter, uh, which is Tim from Rise Against. And they are the greatest Discord band that wasn't on Discord. Really? They were incredible. Um, I'm going to check them out. I remember the name and I remember the connection, but I haven't I haven't listened. They were really, really good. They were... I was shocked. Like, they were really... I think one of the guys is... One of them might be a Fallout Boy guy now, which is kind the of... drummer? No, the drummer no, was in was Vegan Reich. Band. Yeah, he was in Vegan Reich, which was some serious, very which serious I know shit. I make fun of them all the time, and then I feel bad when I remember that he was in Vegan Reich. Yeah. Yeah, well, those dudes were crazy. But, um, yeah, so I was listening to pretty much anything. I mean, I remember going to the Chicago Hardcore Fest and seeing Get Up Kids. And I remember it was, like, their first or second tour. And I think this was Four Minute Mile. And I just remember, like, yeah, I love this is one of my favorite bands right now. And I remember this gang of skinhead girls when they were doing uh, Oh, Amy, Don't Hate Me, that one. This gang of, like, skinhead girls bum rush the stage and i'm like oh my god the, we're getting beat up with the get up kids by this gang of skin but they just started screaming the lyrics and i'm like yo this band has an effect on people <laughs> it was <laughs> but yeah i listened to everything um anything i thought was you know quote unquote punk enough like pavement was another one of my favorites they were punk to me um yeah as long as it wasn't on the radio and only now am i starting to realize how much i like radio hits from the 90s but yeah 120 minutes was sort of my threshold. Like if it was on that show, maybe I could listen to it. Yeah. But, yeah. but then you got so many great shows coming through Chicago. Oh. And I mean, it was again, and, and that time period, if it was the Kinsella stuff or promise ring and all those guys. And it's just, it seemed like there was so much going on. There always is, but just, it was connecting in that independent spirit kind of way. And I always say that, 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 that pre internet time, yes, there was email, but it was uh, it was a fun kind of. You still were discovering. I mean, you would put ten dollars down at a at a uh, um, you know a distro or for the very catalog or whatever it was. Right. And you waited. Yeah, you had to wait. Well, there's also the AOL profile. You would go on yeah. AOL profiles and you'd see, oh, this person likes this band called Falling Forward. I need to check out Falling Forward because this person in the, is ruling the chat room. Yeah, and ordination of Aaron and all. That's how you know. I literally got into. I, I ordered my first issue or I got my first issue of heart attack uh, because 
somebody on because I like I can't remember if I got the record or if it just it, it was connected to like looking at one of these band names on the AOL profile, wrote it, writing it down, and then going to Reckless in Chicago and getting it, and uh, you know that that stuff. Every one of these little things changed my life, and you know my wife is always joking. She's like, "You're still so in all this stuff," and I'm like. I wouldn't be here. I mean, I know it's, it's that corny refrain that a lot of people say, but I'm like, you know, punk rock was like everything to me. And what other things do you think happened that, like you said, you, you know, diagnosed ADHD mom was kind of like, go do whatever. Like, did it kind of save you from, I feel like if I didn't have that, I'd be a fuck up. Oh yeah. I mean, you, you personally, yes. yeah. No, I mean, you know, I, I come from a pretty bad, my family's, you know, this is all in this book, but my family like has always been a pretty big wreck. And, you know, my dad, uh, lost custody of like lost visitation rights to me when I was 12. Uh, cause he, you know, beat me up a lot. And you know, so I came from like that kind of household and, you know, I was always searching for something. Uh, I didn't have a lot of friends growing up cause I moved around. Um, I was thinking about your record collection as you were talking about all these records and tapes and as you're moving around and as you you know go through the book and like staying at people's houses and stuff. I thought about that, about your stuff, because, again, it's not on our phones. Yeah. So I'm like, I literally thought about that. I'm like, how is he getting all his records everywhere? The most were you import- losing stuff they, all the time? They weren't records. This is so this or is tapes. I, yeah, no, I had C, like burn CD. So yeah. I, the most I had like a box of stuff that I could f- usually leave for like a few months at somebody's house. Like I had journals in there and you know, certain people like my old almost dead aunt and uncle, great aunt and uncle, let me leave some stuff there. But there were like a couple of really important things to me and like the most important thing to me was I had this old um canvas duffel bag like it was like an old boy scouts of america duffel bag that i got at a vintage store and i just there were just records and tapes stuffed in there and with school books it was like big it was like hiker sort of but you know i those things had to go everywhere with me it was really like there were certain albums like that's almost i don't know like i definitely touched me when i was kind of reading those moments being like like I was thinking about my room being like, well, I had 30 CDs and seven of them were helmet. What if I had to pick one? <laughs> helmet ruled. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, literally my first favorite band. Yeah. I had I've literally actually heard that. Yeah. Like just changed my life. That video. And like, that's a metal band, but they're like, they look really normal. And they have the jawbreaker connection because of jets Brazil. Right. Isn't one of them in jets Brazil? Uh, no. Um, what? No band of Susans. Was... Uh, okay. Sorry. No, 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 it's fine. What? No, but there might be. Someone's, I yell- someone's yelling at us through the phone. Yeah, someone's mad. I'm sorry. We're really <laughs> pissing Blake off tonight. <laughs> That's far from the course. Yeah. Uh, but just saying, like, you know, you had to pick. And, you know, music was so much to me where it's like I, I literally have, I mean, the CDs I bought when I first bought CDs, I still have. So it's like you having all these changes and things and music was so important. And it's like you had to leave stuff behind. I think the... Like something I always flash back to, and this is just sort of like, like where I sort of started envisioning where I wanted my life to be if I ever made it past eighteen or twenty-one yeah. or whatever. Was I was living with wasn't even a friend; it was just a kid whose mom heard I needed a place to stay, <clears throat> and she was like, "Oh, it's a Christian thing to do." And I'm like, "I'm not going to tell you I'm Jewish," but I was like, "Okay, sure." And I remember, you know, I felt so uncomfortable there that you know, I would basically sleep and they had this extra bathroom in the side of the upstairs and I would just go in the bathroom and listen to records and like write stuff. Like I'd make zines 
uh, in this bathroom. I would just write stuff by hand and sometimes I'd fall asleep in there and just sort of, you know, with my headphones on and it's kind of sad in a way, I guess, but it's also like, that's sort of what instilled this like deep love of writing and all this stuff that I care about so much. So it was, you know, you can look at like anything in your life and be like, Oh, that sucks. That happened. And it's shitty. It turned out that way, but I'm, you know, I'm very grateful for everything I've ever had happen, even though it's a lot of it sucks. I mean, those life experiences, those, you know, you're, I mean, I kind of, like I was laughing too. I was like, you kind of learned how to live in New York because you got to go, you know, the less you have the move, the better when you're moving from, you know, studio to two bedroom or whatever, your rent goes up. You kind of like, you can figure out quick what you need and what you don't. Yeah. No, that's actually, I think that's a really weird, I mean, I've learned how to cut ties. I learned, um, I mean, once I got to that point where I'm like, you know, I want to be stable and happy with my life. I was like, you got to stop you got to stop thinking like that. Cause you know, that was my life. It was, uh, you know, you're going to be here for a few days maybe, <clears throat> or you're going to have to figure something else out pretty fast. So, you know, that's a pretty scary thing. And you know, the thing is I was already sort of preconditioned cause with my family, things were so unstable growing up and it just, you know, I always craved this sort of stability. And then finally I got to this point, like in my like late twenties where I'm like, well, I've lived in New York now, six years or wherever it was yeah. three years, four years, five years. And I'm like, this is my home and I've made it work this long. Despite everyone telling me it's a billion dollars a year to live and this and that. And I'm like, okay, I can, I got it. That's one big step. And I've got other steps now. And I just kept, you know, trying to work stuff out, you know, and finally it got to this point where I'm like, wow, I'm actually married and I'm functioning and I have a full-time job and yeah. I'm still me. I'm still the same guy. I still have pins on my jacket. I still have, but I'm like functioning and I'm happy and that's amazing. And I think, again, that's the part that I thought about the book and we can give away as much as you want or not. Yeah, yeah, but I think about that sort of, that mental health thing. And it's on top of mind for a lot of bands, even today. I mean, this band Somos, his, a lot of his stuff, he talks about his struggles. Yeah. Um, Tanner from you blew it, you know, had a lot of struggles with anxiety and I think it was anxiety. Um, and anxiety uh, is tough. People think it's like a joke that you can be like, Oh, I have such a, you have such a hang. It's, it, anxiety is killer. It can really wreck you. So for them to say these things and again, maybe someone goes and talks to someone professionally or they just talk to their friend. Yeah. And I think, this, you know, part of the stuff that I got out of the book is that, you know, things move on. Obviously, the, we haven't talked about John Hughes, but like <laughs> those sort of, I mean, his movies were smart and you had to think a little bit. And it wasn't, you know, these like those 80s, you know, movies that you'd rent just to see like five seconds of movies. Yeah. Um, Even but, though he tried that in one movie, but yeah. in uh, 16 Candles. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that point of like there's these moments where, you know, enjoy it. And learn from it, and there's going to be another moment that might be good or bad, but remember those good moments. Yeah. I mean, that, and that's the thing. I mean... Because it's going to suck. Yeah. Some of his best movies... I mean, the the, the, the the thing I always try to tell people about John Hughes is there's John Hughes, the writer, the director, and the producer. So, I mean, there's a lot of movies he produced and didn't write or... Actually, no, there aren't that many. He actually would write and produce. That's kind of a constant. But the directing thing, it's really just that that sort of window with like the teen movies and uh, a couple of the, the John Candy films. Um, but a lot of those teen movies, you know, especially like breakfast club um, that takes place within a day. 
Uh, Ferris Bueller is a day. 16 Candles, I think, is about two days, maybe? You know, it's, it's crazy. It's like, you know, you really got to cherish these things. I mean, it stinks, <clears throat> but your parents will eventually be like, sorry, we forgot your birthday or things will work out. I mean, that's, that's why personally I love Ferris Bueller so much. Like it's the funniest and you know, it's his vision, I think, cause he loves Chicago mm-hmm. so much and it's the great Chicago movie, but he also, it's, it's, you know, there's that whole thing with life moves pretty fast, yada, yada. And everyone loves that line. It's a great line. You know, I'd like to make fun of it, but it's a great line. But that's that's a movie about making a perfect day. And that's cool. Like, yeah. that's really fun. Like, wh- why don't we th- stop and think about how we'd love to have a perfect day? And now just like in like some cheesy sort yeah. of. But it, it's, you know, it's 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 a there's a good message there. But about you sort of, you know, learning that now of cutting off things that aren't important and understanding what is in your life and got wife and you're happy and you had all this shit happen and a lot of the stuff in the book was sad, you know, but you're you're bringing it to this forefront of like, you can get out of it doing what you love. And, you know, I mean, I just had someone today kind of like ask me about like how I got where I was in music and, you know, I work with, and it was great. I mean, you saw his eyes just like intently listening and I'm like, holy shit, he's actually really going to go try and do this. Yeah. And I think a lot of the stuff from this book kind of pulls that out of being able to like, it's yes, right now sucks, but keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. And I know that seems so fucking cheesy, but I don't know, man, just like there's there, the sun's going to come up tomorrow and everything's cool. Like a friend of mine, uh, a friend of a friend uh, committed suicide oh. and it's like, you hear those things and I'm like, I wish like what was going on and how can what wasn't working and um it's just that instilling of if some kid you know some kid you know you get made fun of at a hardcore show right you know which and i did you, plenty yeah of course <laughs> i i wore the wrong band shirt at a show hardcore <laughs> show and i got made fun of what um, band shirt was it i think i wore I, the coolest band shirt i had when i went to my first hardcore show was a nirvana shirt oh yeah and their nirvana shirt was so like broken in it was a sliver one that was the coolest thing. Now you'd see that. Now people would pay you good money for that shirt. So, it's gone. Yeah. But I got made fun of. So I was like wrecked for like a day, you know? And it kind of like, it wasn't like serious, but I'm saying those things compounded on themselves. Um, music, again, was there to be like, it's cool. Um, and I just, I think this, you know, book sort of reminds you of that. And those movies, uh, no one's making those like that. Yeah. It's, I mean, I think there are, there are homage. There's that movie, um, I think it's like Soul. It, it takes place in Korea, I believe. There's like a new, like kind of like a take on John Hughes' films. You know, there are some films that sort of strive for it, and I like that. Um, that movie Dope that came out a few years ago, I yep. thought did a good job of that. Um, you know, and I, I do see it in some movies, but yeah, you know, it, it, it's sort of, I like cheesy. I don't care. It's like people make fun of me sometimes still. And I'm like, you know, when I was growing up and i was like you know i hit when i was probably like 18 19 20 i remember i got like really like the whole like spock rock locust look and i'm like this is me this is who i am totally see you yeah i had huge jufro and (laughs) i was really trying to be something just trying so hard to be stuff and it wasn't who i was i just wanted to be happy well the the, the whole thing is i just just, we're all striving for this like just to be happy and you know punk rock was so important to me that I'm like, this is my family. This is my world. This is my family. This is because I have none of this stuff. So I'm going to try to do it within these confines. And then when I finally broke out of those confines, I was like, you know what? 
I love what I love and I'm happy and I, I hate cynicism. I detest it. You know, I think there's a lot to be excited about in this world and tomorrow's going to be a new day and I'm psyched about that and I'm going to be old one day and I'm going to be able to look back and be like, Hey, I did some cool stuff. I did some cool stuff, but I also got myself right. You know, I, I think I've been doing life the right way in the last few years and that's, you know, I have, I have friends who are addicts and, um, Same. it's like, yeah, it's, yeah. it sucks. But I hear them talk about it though. I'm like, you know, I got my stuff right. You know, I got, and you know, I, I think in a weird way I was sort of, you let something take control of you and I let sort of all these like emotions and all this anger kind of take control of me. And I finally sort of figured out ways to, I'm still working on it. You know, I still, I still deal with depression. I still have ADHD, which, you know, at 36 is sort of crazy, but, uh, you know, I still deal with these things and I'm, you know, I'm fine with that. I'm going to always keep working and that's all you can do. What are little tricks that you found? Not even little tricks. I mean, I meditate. Uh, I meditate every day, twice a day. Um, and that's been really helpful. Uh, I exercise a lot, you know, and I mean, also I spent so much of my life without a support system, you know, and I, I think it's a lot of people could say like, Oh, you know, that's, that's a cop out. But you know, when I met my wife, uh, and I, you know, I, I don't mean to tell anybody you, you personally should have to depend on anybody else, but you know, I met my wife and I was sort of like, wow, I have somebody now, you know, this is, and it's just one person. I'm like, that's all I need. And I, that, that was really, it kind of made me feel like, oh, my self-worth kind of went up a little bit and you know, it's not like it's, it's, it's nice. That's very helpful. And you know, the same thing still, I listen to music, I put on my headphones and I'm that 14 year old kid again, Yeah, you know, sitting in my living room and yeah, just try to take it easy. So I think the, the, that DIY sort of aesthetic thing, I, it seems it to me, it's like this paramount thing. Like Ian Mackay is paramount to me, yeah. you know, of just that aesthetic and way you bring about yourself to things. Um, yes, people fuck up and do things and left and right, but just sort of those things that, you take yourself on and I think it takes a certain person to do that. Um, it's, you know, I'm going to take the easy route. I'm going to, you know, get rich quick. It's like, keep doing what you're doing and, you know, have, have a community. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's fine. Cause we started this talk about sports people who, you know, I, I think heroes are meant to let you down. That's kind of the thing. Heroes are going to let you down, but I have this sort of like, um, this like group of bands that I kind of think are the bands that changed my life. And it's, it's Fugazi. Uh, it's bikini kill. It's Los Crudos. Who mm. Another, that's another Chicago band. Yeah. Um, Propagandi and jawbreaker and all those bands for different reasons. And I think to myself, you know, we made fun of Blake, whatever, but I think to myself about all those bands and all those people, they've never really let me down. I still see Kathleen Hanna doing the coolest shit. And I'm like, that's so cool. Did she do the book? No, it was a... Uh, uh, there was a book on her, I think. Yes, that's what I'm thinking. Maybe there was. No, 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 no. What Wait. The Girls to the Front? Yeah. The Sarah Marcus wrote that book. That, was, thank you. She's brilliant. Sarah Marcus is a great journalist. Um, that book's incredible. Uh, but no, she has... She did the do- There was a documentary on her. That's what it was. Thank you. Um, but she's incredible. Uh, Martine from Los Crudos, incredible. Uh, 
And that's kind of cool that, you know, 20 years into this, you know, we talk about Norm from Texas is the reason I'm like, I, I tweeted at, you know, we we're friendly. We know each other. And I told, you know, I was like, your zine was like one of the places where I, I didn't get an MFA. I didn't go to school to be a writer. I'm like, your zine, your interviews taught me how to interview people. Yeah, so good at it. Yeah. He's, and asking the right things. And yeah. Yeah. I learned a lot from him. Yeah. And Aaron Comet Bus, like reading his zines, uh, Al from Mile Marker, Burn Cl- like those were, you know, Punk Planet. Those were the things that I still emulate. And I still, you know, I work at a big magazine, but I'm like, I still have that same mentality um whether it's volume one or rolling stone i'm just like you know go into it with the same honesty and it's real passion yeah you read it and you're like that person actually cares about that band yeah yeah and i that's the thing i'll never write about sports it's a little tough because i'm trying to like break down sports and i have been in past lives a book critic and a music critic and there is a there is a time to be critical of anything but I've also sort of, you know, if I'm going to write something, like truly write it, I'm going to, it's got to be something I love. And, you know, I, I wrote this thing for this music website a few months, about a, three or four months ago. Uh, this band Slapstick, who was a big ska band in Chicago, <clears throat> who turned into Alkaline Trio, who yeah. turned into Lawrence Arms. And I've, I was thinking, I'm like, this is sort of my whole, they've, they've been my entire life. If you think about like all their bands and me have been sort of, going at the same and so I wrote this whole thing just like looking back at everything they've done and I'm like I didn't get paid for it but I'm like I loved that and you know it meant so much to me that like Dan from Alkaline Trio on Tuesday was tweeting it and saying how great it was yeah oh man that was so cool but you know that's that's important to me it's like the things I love and that I care about I don't need I'm gonna I have a job I can write all day and I get paid but you know I'm still gonna write and talk about the things I love. I mean, I'll, it's, you know, I'll be controversial for a second. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, um, and people will groan, but this sort of like, I don't make money literally from this stuff. Yeah. And I just want their stories told and reminded, which I've been doing. And there's this whole, you know, resurgence of this word, you know, nostalgia. And I'm going to be nostalgic. Well, well, I get if you were into music and you moved on. Yeah. But it's like this group of people that were in it for like three years and moved on and now they're back for a couple more years (laughs) and they're going to move on again when it's not when it's done and i'm still going to be talking about ian yeah i'm still going to be referencing the hotelier or foxing or whatever the it's gonna all it's the scene and community it's it's just so fleeting to me some of the sentiment and it somehow gets all the press. It somehow gets all the recognition and marketing. And it just, for some reason, I, I never understand it. And I just think it hit this mass medium of people. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it totally did. And it, it it kind of ruined it in a way for a lot of people. And I, I got that. But I was like, man, I still, this is, you know, the stuff I've loved, I've always loved. And I'm probably always going to love it. We were, we were talking before we went on about piebald and i was like shocked i was like this whole audience it was like 2000 people maybe or 1500 i guess and i was like this is genuine this is like a f-, and they're having fun and i'm sure they're getting well, they, and the, 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 the the was it the bass player you know proposed yeah oh my god i i got that video i was dying it was so sweet and that was incredible and i'm like this is you know it's like maybe if i get that once a year 
that's sort of like oh yeah that show i was like i'm good yeah <laughs> and i saw so again if i if i'm getting angry or upset or emotional um about it i have those moments at that show where i forget it and yeah. i'm like okay you know, you can't take that away from me. Maybe that's not the right word for no. it. But, like, I feel connected to it where that reminds me of that ethic again, that this sort of community about it, which I, you know, loved so much. Yeah. I mean, a couple days before, I had went and I went to This Is Hardcore Fest in Philadelphia because I've always wanted to see Gorilla Biscuits uh, because some kid who broke the edge when I was, like, 15 or 16 just was like, here, have all these CDs. And one of them was Start Today. And... <laughs> When you're 15 and you hear that, you're just like, this is amazing. And I really wanted to see them because I'd missed the reunion shows. But one of the bands that opened from them was this band, The Trouble, which was Gibby from who did Make Out Club. Yeah. And I've always liked them. I think my Make Out Club <clears throat> account is still active. It's probably still there. Yeah. It's still there. Well, there was actually that website predated it, the um, Trackstar Singles ads. Do you remember that? No. What was that? Trackstar Records was a record label out of Philly, I think. They did a Charles Bronson 7-inch, and they did this thing called Trackstar Singles ads, and you sent them your photo and your name, and they would just post whatever they wanted about you. That's amazing. And mine was like me when I was like 17, dressed in a Joy Division shirt and black pants, just looking... they were like, "Here's here's Jason doing his best Ian Curtis imitation." And I was like, <laughs> "You're like, yeah, thanks." <laughs> it was pretty nice comparatively. Yeah. They like made they like it was like dudes from like people like Ink and Dagger members were on there, and um, all sorts of people were on there from bands that I liked, and they ripped into them. Uh, I got away pretty easy, so. Um, but yeah, so anyways, we went to the show and I was like, you know, girl business were okay. He went on some like all lives matter kick, and I was like, oh, dude, Siv, shut up. But the trouble played a few bands before them. I'm like, this is a great show. Like, not everyone's here for them, but everyone's having a good time. You know, it's a lot of straight edge kids, which I was kind of taken aback by. I'm like, damn, it's a lot of kids here with X's. Yeah, but it was like, but yeah, but you're not like militant and no, like this was like these were like <laughs> dudes who beat you up yeah, kind yeah. of. And I was like, God, the, I haven't the been hardline kids. Yeah, yeah, like the yeah. I was like, I have not been to a show like this. And I go to shows. I've, I've I saw like negative approach. You know. But I was like, damn, this is a real hardcore show that like circa 97. <laughs> and But it was still fun. I'm like, you know, I'm still getting the energy that I got from that. And, you know, I've been to some duds. But, yeah, I should have gone to Knapsack. That's the one I'm still regretting, the Knapsack reunions. I think um, in a lot of ways, I mean, he's just a very talented songwriter in general. But, like, I was listening. I love Beachland. I love the episode with him on here. That was great. Yeah. I love listening to him talk. But... I was listening to this conversation is ending right now and I'm like, I kind of get some beach slang now. I'm kind of, you know, I know beach slang has more of the rock stuff and all the, the like replacements and jawbreaker kind of thrown in. But I was like, you kind of, cause I remember listening to that, that episode you did and I'm like, yeah, I know he was in Weston, but I'm like the emo and I know they're on polyvinyl, but it makes so much sense to me now. Cause I'm like, there was this sort of, yeah, it, it totally like works and he's, you know, he's great. Alex is, but kind of like a veil too. They could play a hardcore show, a punk show, right. emo show. It did, like it just they fit. Yeah, you would go to an avail show in '96, and it would be <clears throat> you'd see your crust punk kids, you'd see your vegan straight edge kids, you'd see your anarchists, you'd see kids smoking weed in the venue. Yeah, you'd see the whole thing, and um, it was great. It was very it was positive. You know, as corny as it that that got as for a while, it was it was a positive experience, and they were super fun and. You know, I listen to Avail all the time. I've always wanted to tell Tim, I'm like, dude, you, you literally saved my life. I'm sure people 
probably still tell him that. But really, I, I have a people were really connected to that band, but it's something about was it like Richmond? Like it just you know Richmond is like. I mean, if you go on the wrong day, it smells like shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so is New York. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's every day. Yeah, yeah. It's every day in New York. <laughs> it smells like shit. Yeah. It's a but like, place. there's something about Richmond, um, that big, you know, Philip Morris or whatever the giant um, cigarette, yeah. you know, smoke thing. It's just, it's got this vibe, and I think it just, it cultivated. It's, it's a dirty punk town. It's sort of engine down. You know, yeah. kind of the young were, pioneers. Yep. Um, I think. I think Born Against may have been from there. I don't know. I could be wrong about that. But it's sort of like Gainesville. So Gainesville is sort of the same thing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> these sort of like weird towns that, you know, people just kind of, this is what they want to do. And everyone wants to move there for a while because everyone's like, holy shit, how our music lives here. Well, you know, exactly. We, from here. we should go down say, there. Like, how would our music, those dudes... That was a band that I mean I think I saw them and Blacktop Cadence I think both of the bands played yeah, yeah and I think I went to the I remember going to the merch booth and buying every Blacktop Cadence CD and every Hot Water Music CD they had yeah and it was just like that I never had that happen at a show being like I need to buy everything you just you have I mean Hot Water is another I mean I I kind of you know and this is no offense to them I just sort of when they I think when they signed Epitaph and this wasn't like you're not punk anymore. Cause there are bands that are empath now that like, that I really like, but I sort of was like, oh, I'm not as into this, you know, but I still listen to like fuel for the hate game. And like turnstile is one of the, I mean, I tell myself once a day, like hold on tight to your fears, blah, blah, blah. You know, I, that stuff is like, I mean, that's beautiful. That's like really great stuff. And I don't know. I think, you know, I was really blessed. Hashtag blessed to, uh, <laughs> To have seen them a bunch of times and in I just weird wish venues. There was more, again, that's why I'm kind of doing this, but just the. Maybe it was too small of a group and only a certain amount of folks did it. And over time, that's what happens. But there's always those, you know, you found the band in the rafters and now they're this. Like, I just think they, sh- why, they should be in the conversation more. About, Hot water? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't get that. It's so weird. I mean, now Chuck is like a Filson mob. He like, because he's fishing all the time. So he's in all these. I love his Instagram. Yeah. Just fishing. It's so calming. I'm like, dude, this is a good life you're living. That's, (laughs) I don't know if you're like, if you could even, I don't know how you're affording any of this, but like. And then it was Chuck Reagan facts, right? Was that another thing that was like a Twitter account? No, I haven't seen that. (laughs) I think it was like this all like, kind of like a Chuck Norris thing. Like Chuck Reagan. <laughs> I like to think it's like rumble seat money. Yeah. It's from his like side project. It's yeah. not hot water, but he, they were always really, you know, I saw them on like new, I was visiting a girl I'd met on the internet because <laughs> this is a very late nineties thing. Uh, and we went and saw them play on like new year's Eve in South Carolina in this like VFW hall. And it was incredible. It was like just one of the most, it was like, an incredible show and you know i you could still find that stuff you just got to look for it i mean like there's this band the downtown boys down just downtown boys not the uh and like i've seen them and i'm like dude this band blows me away like they have this there's all i feel like there will probably always be bands like that i like to hope there will be but it's you know reassuring that there are still bands and things are passing on in that same aesthetic you know when i first heard about top shelf records mm-hmm. or Count Your Lucky Stars. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Like, well, it's still there. Modern and, baseball. Like yeah. that's, that's the perfect, like I, that, that band to me is just like, 
you are doing everything right to me. Like, I really appreciate that band. They're great. But I'm like, I appreciate how they care about their fans and how they're going to say stuff. Um, that's important, you know, because yeah. I want that passed on. Yeah. I want them to have an Ian. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, and the other thing is, you know, like in 2016, you hear all these people on in certain, like, oh, we're getting to PC, we're getting to this and that. But I'm like, that was something I heard lobbied, like lobbed at like punk kids who were like, don't say homophobic shit. Don't say racist stuff. I mean, when you watch some movies in the 90s, going back to movies, yeah, I've watched some of them. And I'm like, whoa, yeah, whoa, 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 that. I mean, I didn't. You didn't think anything of it. No, you, you used to lob. Yeah, you would throw well, around. It's excellent adventure yeah. has a line where I, they should probably cut that out from, <laughs> you know, existence. Yeah, there's a lot of them. You you kind of catch them now watching it, and you're like, man, this was so. Accepted. But you didn't notice it. Well, I mean, back to John Hughes, like Long Duck Dong. You're yeah. like you're when you're a kid and you watch it. You're like, oh, this is normal. It's not normal. That's terrible. Like that's a horrible. The, first of all, the guy's American. He's, you know, he's just kind of any Asian guy. They just make him into any. And it was you know, it's pretty mean. Uh, there's a lot of that. In, Yet Fox News just had that happen. Oh, too. that was terrible. I could not believe that. I watched that yesterday, and I was like, if anyone doesn't know, Fox News, <coughs> the, whatever, had this guy go down to Chinatown. Uh, in New York and talk well, I mean I hope I'm paraphrasing it correctly speaking about really like in depth topics speaking to Chinese immigrants that may uh, or Amer- Chinese American also yeah, Chinese of, American, yeah. yeah. but all sides not understanding and kind of having like literally like a daily show kind of real and just doing that sort of snarky thing where it's like you could obviously tell they cut a, to a different they would ask them a question and they cut in a different like the editing was really poorly done and uh yeah that was really but again from us talking about that in these not it's still as of yesterday that's still like kind of there yeah and i mean i'm always gonna i'm always gonna hate that i'm always gonna be like that's unacceptable to me i mean a lot of the things i mean that but the, but the punk rock shows they would say those things of being like don't do that or having a food not bombs thing or all those sort of uh, think about that not what you're hearing in your high school from, you know, everybody else. Yeah, I mean, and learning these things through bands and through other I kids. Really think that's how I am where I'm sitting. Oh, oh my God, yeah. I mean, I feel like we would not be having this conversation. I mean, we would not be having this conversation in any capacity if it wasn't for that stuff. Like, it's like that, yeah, I mean, I read the zines and I listened to bands talk. That's why I said those five bands, I mean, especially like Bikini Kill and Propaganda, like, I mean... I was like, oh, yes, the patriarchy. I know what that is. That's terrible. Fuck the patriarchy. And, you know, I grew up listening to a lot of Public Enemy. So I would read about these people that Chuck D would rap about. And, you know, I, I still consider Public Enemy a, a punk band. Um, and, you know, I would learn about things going to a Los Crudos show. And that was, that's, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm definitely not like some, like, you know, I'm not yelling at people because they shop at a certain place or <clears throat> you could do what you want, but I'm like, you know, I Yourself. like, yeah. And I like to make sure everyone is treated. I do believe in equality and I think that's because of punk rock. You know I mean? I, <laughs> it's corny when you're like in your thirties and saying this, but I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm constantly learning from people I know. Um, and that's cool. I'm really happy that I'm open to that stuff as a person, but I'm, I still have a lot of work to do. I always will. And oh, no. you know, 
the the life I've lived and the bands I've liked and the stuff I've been involved in has helped me kind of realize I can always be a better person. And the in the book too, I mean, you're putting yourself out there. Yeah. I mean, this book is your memoir. It's got a lot of serious shit in there and you're figuring it out. And again, are there anything else that someone would kind of, you think I, t- I took away from it again, that you're never really finished something, but you're like learning all the time about it. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's, that's life. I mean, you'll, you'll but finish, I mean, you'll it, finish but life. Again, but again, I loved again, the, the references cause you know, the movies like you're, you know, you're visualizing them as you're telling them or the band references. It's, it helps. Yeah, and I still watch the movies. It's it's funny. It's like I will still default to... So you're to, still obsessed with John Hughes? I wouldn't say obsessed. I mean, I'm going to be linked to him now because I wrote this book. But, um, you know, he, he he I actually do have a very... I feel like I have a huge emotional connection to his, his work. I mean, there's a lot of stuff I like. You know, I talk about that in the book a little bit. But his movies have been with me for so long and they're so familiar. Um, they're more familiar than some people in my life. Because you were watching them, yeah, constantly, and they were, and you know, I grew up in that neighborhood, like yeah. in those neighborhoods that that's my backyard, and you know, it, it it there's just something about those films that are just so, yeah, it's like a blanket sort of. Um, no, I mean, when uh, if Uncle Buck comes on, <sighs> Uncle Buck's so good, I'm in. Yeah, you know, I do that. Go down to the city and have a rat gnaw it off your face. Like I, <laughs> I do that constantly but yeah. those sort of <laughs> give those, them a quarter yeah yeah when I, if i have if i hear a quarter make that noise <laughs> that's what i say um sorry for anyone that that's... knows me um yeah i mean if it's if it's uncle buck or obviously you know national lampoons you know christmas it was christmas right they did well he did i mean he was all the national was all of them. Yeah, the yeah. three well the three with the, the three the, with uh chevy. chevy yeah uh i like christmas a lot uh, christmas is I got sad because I always played it with my dad. Um, But that movie is like, that's what I wanted to play at Christmas. That's it. That's the Christmas movie. Yeah. I mean, I watch, I talk about, I mean, every Thanksgiving still, uh, I made my wife and my two friends, my best friend and his girlfriend watch it with me. I'm like, every year I watch trains, planes, and automobiles. Um, And I've had. At at, at Thanksgiving. Yeah. around It has to be within like a couple days of. (laughs) And then every year I've had, well, for the last like five years. I think as long as we've had four years, uh, I've had the same version of Home Alone DVR from like ABC Family, and it's like I'm like I'm like telling my wife like you could not delete Home Alone. Why uh, that version? It's just it's just there, and it's it's. Do you accessible. want me to get it for you? Do you want me to get? You I have I have oh, okay. oh I have I just, it. I didn't oh. know if it was an issue. I have all the movies. Okay, but there's just something about lazy yeah, clicking. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I mean that's it's such a great film. It's it, I mean Home Alone is funny and slapsticky, and you know those Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern should be dead within like five minutes of that whole fiasco. But the other films, you know, there's a lot of really beautiful stuff in there that if you look, you find it, and you know I appreciate that. And you know there's the emotional attachment, obviously, but and obviously I, I love Molly Ringwald and. Uh, I love, I like Emilio Estevez. I like all these actors and actresses, but you know, there's a lot to these movies that I'm still unpacking. Like I still would like to see like a stage version of the breakfast club. I think that would be incredible. Um, I still think I still find little things in Ferris Bueller's bedroom that I didn't notice. I think, I think at this point I've, I've seen all the, I know there's like a killing joke poster and I know all this. I think I found everything, but 
<clears throat> there's a lot of stuff that I'm still like looking for. And, you know, I still love to tell people, like, there's a Sonic Youth connection to Ferris Bueller's Day Off because the guy in the garage was the original drummer of. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And he, yeah, he was in like some Jarmouche films. Um, and that's the other thing. I love to tell people, like, I watch a lot of movies. It's not just John Hughes, but I'm like, you know, I'll let you think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm just like some dummy who <laughs> has like the five movies he likes. But, <laughs> you know, I have a pretty good like, knowledge of movies. But uh, that's the thing. I could never – movies were always tough because either, you know, my sister won out on which movie we were going to pick from the video store. I mean, Friday nights was pizza at the local pizza shop yeah. and, a, and a video store. And the two video stores were within a mile of each other. And if you're at one of them – and they didn't have the movie, you raced over to the second one. Yeah. And there'd be like, your, you would see your friend's car in the parking lot, and you'd be like, oh, shit, he's here. He's <laughs> totally going to grab the last copy of Bloodsport. You know, I'm not going to be able to get it. And that it was like, that was every Friday. Yeah, we, we had that too. It was funny. It was because my dad and my stepmom, because my dad, when I was a little kid, had me on weekends. Uh, I think it was it was usually Friday night we'd go. There were two places. There was the drugstore. Um, there was always a drug drugstores loved. There were that was a big thing in the eighties, the drugstore slash tape rental. But there was that, and there was then there was the blockbuster, and the blockbuster I kind of liked. I liked the the drugstore. We store. never had blockbuster. We're too too small. Yeah, it was always like local stuff. But I remember seeing it and people having a blockbuster card, and I was like, oh, that's pretty rad. Yeah. Well, I also didn't. The thing was, a blockbuster is next door to the Little Caesars. Yeah. So I knew if we were going to blockbuster, you I could kind of a couple pam pam. Yeah, and the pizza, pizza. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I grew up. I I started really getting into movies. I think like watching. I'm not. That's the one thing I'm the least nerdy about. I, but I do. I can talk to you about like, you know, old Russian movies or old French movies or whatever you want to talk about. I can tell you. I this is what I like. This is what yeah. I don't like. But movies were always just something I sort of watched. And John Hughes movies weren't. They weren't like. Bloodsport or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or yeah. whatever movie they were movies that I really like for, at such a young age just sort of I just got engaged watching them um, and as somebody who has a hard time engaging himself into any well, I, now I'm better at it but uh, I couldn't really pay attention to things and for some reason I just really wanted to watch these movies and I really wanted to know about the lives of these people and I would think about the lives of these people after the camera stopped yeah I'm like man what are they doing you know and then I started to learn that John Hughes had a, a universe. It's Shermer. It's his town. And um, that always fascinated me. And it's, he's just, it's, it's more, there are more layers to his work than I think people have kind of given him credit for. Because it was a comedy. Because it was an 80s comedy, I think, specifically. I think it was because he, that's the other thing. And it, he's very, he was a very smart guy because he was trained as an ad guy. So he knew how to push people's buttons and, you know, he knew what was going to get a reaction, but there is something I feel like people like to think everything in the eighties, they just want to be like the eighties is just a decade and everything is surface and anything below the surface is, you know, weird punk rock stuff or, you know, fringe this or that. And then everything kind of started becoming a little bit more then the weird started happening in the nineties where like Nirvana. Yeah. But the eighties, everything is, you know, pretty much on the surface as normal as it should be. And John Hughes, uh, wanted, he portrayed this sort of like normal quote unquote uh you everywhere USA with a bunch of white kids from good families. And you know, that's I think that that has hurt him. He didn't have he just had a lot of white kids. 
Um, and sadly, the place where I grew up and where those movies were, that was what you did have. But I feel like he could have maybe changed that and been like, you know what, I'm going to make it a little bit more normal to have black people living in this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do the same thing that everyone else does, but he didn't. And so those movies stayed sort of white and somewhat conservative because he was politically conservative. Um, you know, there's like the good old teenage rebellion factor, which I like, but, um, you know, I just, there's a lot of things that I think people want to discredit him. He's not like Kubrick or he's not Truffaut or he's not Hitchcock. And I'm fine with that. I like a little pop, you know I mean? There's, I mean the same thing with, I love a breakdown in a hardcore song. Yeah. Yeah. I love the chorus. I, why I loved sort of the promise ring a little bit more than the more of like the jangly stuff. They're a great pop band. Yeah, they're a pop band. Yeah. So like Hooks, that to me was he's giving you he's giving you some candy. Yeah. And it's, you know. Well, I think something that really changed my life was when I heard this interview from the 80s. I read something about like how Sonic Youth were like, they gave an interview in like 86. And they're like, our favorite band is Madonna. Really? It was something like that. And they did that in Madonna cover album, the Chicone Youth. And I think they were pretty serious. But then I started realizing just how, you know, music obviously made me understand this, but I started realizing it in culture in general. And you you talk about like Andy Warhol or you talk about anything with the word pop in front of it, pop art, pop music. There are pop movies and there is, you know, there's a lot of garbage out there. But they were saying that in the 60s about, you know, they were probably saying the birds were a pop band for all I know. But um, they weren't. They were this incredible things take time to sort of, you know, be realized and to to understand how important, like 80s hardcore, for instance. Like, I don't think people were thinking like, oh, SSD, this is important. No, they were like, these are a bunch of dumb kids. You know, now you're like, something kind of artistic about 80s hardcore. You know, there's... Like, some things are super instant and then other things take longer. Yeah, because it has its... Because the thing is, now you can place certain things in a context. Like, 80s kids screaming about this or that they're angry they had a lot to be angry about yeah there's a lot of reasons to be angry reagan uh the economy drug drug abuse uh all these things that were happening and hip-hop you know has finally started really get its due you know i mean it's commercially you know very successful but people are starting to like look at it like and be like we need to teach courses on this this is something that has to be respected so sonic youth saying madonna you know made a lot of sense yeah there was something about that that i think i heard that when i was like 16 when i was just like i just want to hear the germs and i just want to hear you know i just want to hear something on lookout records or i want to hear yeah um that sort of i wouldn't say i don't know i was also starting to get into like more like older soul stuff and older i was starting to understand like all this stuff works together and if you're going to discredit one thing you're going to have to discredit this thing and this thing. So just be open. You know, don't be like, I love everything, man. I, you know, you don't be like that. But try to go into something and be like, I'm going to give this a chance. And some things you'll automatically just love. Um, and John Hughes movies, I think I automatically just loved. But I loved them so much that after a time, I had to really start thinking about like, what the hell do I love these movies so much for? And, and that was the impetus for, you know, sort of this... The obsession, yeah. like that's where it kind of, I was like, I moved here and I was like, I'm going to write his biography. That's nobody's done that. I was like, I'm 22 or 23. I'm going to do it. I'm going to write a biography. And it's, it's silly because you can't just do that. 
but I was like, I can do that. Yeah. Cause you're young and you're yeah. poor and you're like, Oh, plenty I got nothing else. You got plenty of time. Oh yeah. You're sitting behind a coffee shop counter and you're like, Oh, I'm, I'm thinking about my John Hughes biography. And I just went through all these kind of crazy, you know, I was like, basically like, I'd see like Matthew Broderick on the street. I'm like, Hey, Matthew Broderick. I'm you know, I would try to get him to talk to me and, I was just doing everything wrong. and <laughs> You don't now, bother celebrities in New York. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm actually, no, I go out of my way not to. Uh, uh, but <laughs> I... Uh, well, there was a guy on the subway train trying to bug Nick Kroll. And she, he was with a few... Was Nick Kroll on the train? Yeah, we were oh, on yeah. after the Mets game. It was actually last year. Oh, yeah. And this kid from New Jersey or Long Island, sorry to yeah. be... But that's where yeah, yeah, from. Well, tri-state um, area. Yeah, from the tri-state area. Could be Westchester, too. Yes, yes you're right. I apologize, Westchester. Yeah. Um, what up, Scarsdale? So... <laughs> He was like, and he was like trying to get his attention. And I looked him right in the eye and I go, be a New Yorker and don't bother him. <laughs> yeah. Leave him and alone. He like literally was like, I'm sorry. He like kind of leaned back. I'm just like, Come did on. Nick Kroll say anything to you? No. Did you he, hear? He knew I was with my other friend. So oh, right. he, he was shit faced. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. But it was just really funny. I was just like, come on. Come on. Yeah. We're in New York. Well, I went, I went to that. Recently, there was that the bar opening with Bill Murray bartending, and I, I went because I write about food a lot, and somehow I got invited to that. And I, I've stated pretty much my entire life that Bill Murray has probably been my one hero since I was like four. Well, your a background of your Twitter images is my favorite clip <laughs> of him. Yeah, of him and Harry Carey. Yeah, it's amazing. Genius. Oh, it's if anyone hasn't seen this, I will link it from somehow <laughs> on washedupemo.com when this episode. is Also, up. just go look. Go look up Bill Murray. Bill Harry Murray with Harry Carey on YouTube. It's just always a blast. And then apologize to your boss for laughing. <laughs> but yeah, so I went to the Bill Murray thing and, um, you know, my friend and I walked up and we're like, yeah, we're, we're on the list. And there's like literally like 800 people around the block and all of them are in like, pick, you know, shirts with like him as like Steve Zuzu or whatever, or him in stripes and all these fans. I'm like, it's a Friday night in Brooklyn. What, what I listen, I know Bill Murray's cool. But guys, come on. Like, don't do that. Don't be like that. You know, you're showing up to the concert in the band t-shirt, basically. It's even worse. You're not even you're not even getting into the yeah. concert. You're just standing outside. And it was kind of funny and weird. And uh, yeah. He was at South by last year. Yeah. He and was a lot. He was at, um, what showcase was it? Beach Slang had played or were about to. It was a Brooklyn Vegan. But Whatever it was, I think it was the Brooklyn Vegan Showcase because he came outside. I was on the phone with somebody, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Holy shit, that's Bill Murray! He just left the punk rock show." Yeah, he goes to a lot of them, and I, I'd already loved him, and I was like, "Well, put chalk another one yeah. up on the awesome checkboard." I did a shot of Jameson with him, and I'm like, "Well, that's all I need." Did that? <laughs> that was that was cool. Hey God, we're cool now. Yeah. Like, if anything, like we're good. All of my, all of my, yeah, all of my thank you gods always have to do with Chicago stuff. So it's like that was it. Yeah, that and when the Bulls beat the Pistons when I was eleven, a couple of weeks before I had gone to a church, I had gone to a christening, and again I'm Jewish, so I'm like, oh boy, I'm in a church. This is scary. But I remember sitting in there and going, God, I know I'm not Christian or Catholic, whatever. But hey, God, please, it's me. yeah, hey, God, it's Jason. <laughs> Are you there, I'm God? Some folks, can you do something for me? I was like, please, please, <laughs> please let the Bulls beat the Pistons. And I remember like thinking this, and I'm like, I'll be good. I'll do whatever, please. And then they beat them, and I remember thinking, oh man, he 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 answered the call. Yeah, wow, God is good. 
Amen. <laughs> and so it's like those were my two instances. But um, yeah, I had to do that. God is good. Thank you for that. Um, and then Bill Murray. So yeah, all of my like little instances with God have to go back to Chicago because he's because Bill Murray's from my neck of the woods as well. So. Yeah, I could kind of tell that right away when I saw Ghostbusters. I was like, yeah, this guy sounds like everybody I know. Pretty much. Yeah. So That's he's, cool. Yeah, he's a cool guy. Anything else about the book you want people to know? Oh, wow. We got to talk about the book a little bit more. Yeah, no. Um, I I really hope people like it. You know, I've, it's cool because a lot of my friends have read it. Uh, you've read it. You know, a lot of people have been like, just said such incredibly positive things. <coughs> I read it very quickly. Yeah. Which for me is books sometimes take me a minute to get into. Um, and I think that was something that I loved that, you know, again, it was sad at times. It was happy. I was laughing, but it was like, it was one of those ones that I just kept going. Anyway, where were we? The, is that the first asthma attack you've ever had on this no, show? No, and it's not the first asthma attack. Really? It is. Oh, okay. Yeah, it is. Okay, good. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> Woo! Sorry. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Big pussy. Big wuss. Uh, just, you know, anything else about the book that, um, you know, someone would, you know, again, I saw it as something, a really good you know, someone going through a lot and learning at the same time and never finishing, but still learning and fucking up along the way. And that's okay. <laughs> that's life. Yeah. I mean, I just want, you know, I'm glad that people have connected with it. That's insane. Um, <clears throat> you know, that's, that's when I was a kid, I'd write zines and hope that one person would read it. And it's the same thing with this. I mean, it's the same thing with everything I write. And I, I don't really ever think about who's reading what I write, but I, I hope people get something out of it. I hope, you know, some kids might read it and be like, oh, it's not so bad. It, it gets better. Or I'm going to try something. Yeah. I mean, just go out on a limb. You know, be who you want to be. Do what you want to do. Life isn't this, like, straight and narrow path like you're told. You can subvert things to an extent. You don't, you don't have to be, like, some, like, rebel crazy. But, you know, do what you want to do and be happy. And once I figured that out, once I figured out, like, hey, I'd like to be happy. It's as simple as that. I didn't want to be happy growing up. I was so angry and so upset and so content with being those things. You know, I, I think I sort of started doing the right things. And that's, I, you know, I hope that kind of comes through. And I hope if anybody reads the book <laughs> that, uh, you know, they get something like that out of it. Cool. And maybe a deeper appreciation for John Hughes movies. Whatever. But yeah, if you read it, let me know you like it or you don't. Thank you. Of course. This is great. Did you have fun? This is a blast. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you want to support, head on over to washedupemo.com. Buy some buttons and stickers or on our Threadless store, washedupemo.threadless.com. Shirts for men, women, and children, plus framed art pillows. And shower curtains. Styles like Make Emo Great Again in Kinsella We Trust. Your emo home needs are all there. Also, there's a Patreon page you can support each month. And for the cost of $0, 
you can leave a nice review on iTunes for the podcast. Finally, reach out anytime on any social network. Shoot me a note, admin at washedupemo.com. Band reviews, things you've heard, things I need to cover, things I'm doing wrong. I hear it all. Let's chat. I'll see you next time. Washed Up Emo fans, thank you for listening to this podcast over the last nine plus years, or if it's your first time, welcome. It has flown by, and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening, and for this current episode you're about to hear. I do have a favor of you. I have some books out right now called Anthology of Emo, and Volume 2 was released last fall. I really think you'll dig it if you haven't heard of them. It features guests from the podcast, including Jim Atkins from Jimmy World, Chris Conley from Saves the Day, Travis Shettle from Piebald, and John Bunch from Sensefield. I've also printed volume one so you can order both check out the diy publishing at anthologyofemo.com